Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Hey, good morning, Harbor Church and everybody out there. I want to say welcome to uh, our services. If you're watching this online, if you're checking this out uh, on our live feed, or if you're watching this years from now, my name is Josh. I'm the pastor of Harbor Church. I'm coming to you from a beautiful rooftop where you can see uh, the harbor behind me. This is courtesy of Steve and Janae Burgess. They're letting me film up here. I thought, what a beautiful backdrop. Maybe you're listening to this on the podcast and you can't see uh, some of this gorgeous scenery behind me. You may still be able to hear a boat horn or some of the traffic or a seagull. Um, It makes it more fun and I hope you enjoy uh, today's message. We are kind of just taking a little sidestep from doing series. We've got another great series coming up. But uh, what I wanted to talk to you about today was something a little bit different. It's the idea of friendships. Um, It deals a little bit with with death and people passing away. It also deals with leadership and work environments. It's just a really cool story from the Bible. And I thought it'd be something fun for us to do together today. I'm also going to be preaching this live at the 1030 uh, parking lot picnic service. So those of you that can't make it, um, I hope you enjoy this live feed. And if you can bring a lawn chair, come join us at 1030 in our parking lot. This will be the same message there. What we're looking at is a story from the book of 2 Kings. I love the book of Kings. It's written by a prophet named Jeremiah. But what it does is it gives the history. It chronicles all the different kings and rulers that uh, work throughout Israel. And it, it has a time where it focuses on a couple of prophets. There's this prophet named Elijah that it centers around for a good portion of it. And Elijah is this amazing man of God. Several different times he calls down fire from heaven. Elijah is the prophet. This guy uh, goes down in the the history of Israel as being one of the men who really walked with God and really uh, was able to do some amazing miracles. Well, about halfway through his ministry, he picks up a protege. He picks up his successor, a guy named Elisha. So this might get a little confusing if you've never heard these stories. Elijah is the older, more famous, more prominent prophet. And his protege, uh, the guy he's training up, is named Elisha. And Elisha uh, walks with Elijah through most of the rest of the stories in 1 Kings. You find him in chapter 19, and then uh, they hang out from there on. And now we're in 2 Kings chapter 2. And I just want to read you this short little story but I thought we could break it down verse by verse. And I believe if you'll let God speak to you this morning, you might find some cool things out that you have never heard from. You maybe have never even heard this story before. And if you have, maybe God has something different for you today to to listen to. So in 2 Kings chapter two, the very first verse says this, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. This is what's weird is it makes you think that you missed something. Jeremiah writes it, hey, the Lord's about ready to end Elijah's time here on earth. Elijah's getting ready to die here on earth and God's gonna take him up uh, to heaven in a whirlwind. And he says it like we are supposed to already know that. There is no reference to it prior to this. So it just starts and Jeremiah's like, yeah, it's a known fact, but he's also writing this many years after this takes place and everybody in Israel, of course, knew how Elijah died or he didn't technically die. God just took him up to heaven. He, Elijah and Enoch, by the way, are the only two characters ever mentioned that don't have a physical death here on earth. God just removes them from the earth 
takes them up to heaven. And uh, it's a pretty cool and unique story for Elijah. But this was apparently a prophecy that this that this prophet, this man of God, was going was not going to die like a normal physical death. And so, although it's well known, it kind of catches us off guard in verse number one. But uh, I want you to know it's a very famous ending for a very famous man. Uh, it, it, that what actually happens is a chariot of fire with horses that are on fire comes through, uh, and it it es escorts Elijah on this whirlwind up into heaven. It's a very very famous story from the Bible, um, but it also lays this picture in this last chapter of his life. He and Elisha are walking together. Elisha and Elijah are very similar to Moses and Joshua. Moses had a successor, had somebody that he trained and had him go with him in the name of Joshua. And Joshua was this man who ended up taking over the, the, the leadership of the children of Israel. Normally, uh, you don't see a lot of people handing off their responsibilities. You don't have a lot of bosses handing it to uh, uh, you know an employee for them to become the boss. You just don't really see that happening with a lot of the stuff in the Bible, but in a few circumstances you do. This is one of them. Elijah walking with his uh, protege Elisha, and uh, we know that they're getting ready to go, uh, that it's, it's Elijah's end. So this is a heavy message for the fact that it might be a little bit about um, you know, death, it might be a little bit about friendship. I, I want to focus on the friendship between these two men, but it might speak to you on a couple different levels. Here's what happens in verse number two. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, stay in Gilgal, bud, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. Elisha's reply is this, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. Well, what I want you to understand is one, maybe Elijah wanted a little bit of privacy. He knows his time is coming. Maybe he's like, I'll just go on my own. I'll, I'll just walk off and uh, nobody ever has to see me again. God's going to take me. Maybe he wanted a little privacy, but more than anything, I think he's testing his soon-to-be successor, uh, Elisha, to see how faithful he was. And Elisha's response is, as the Lord lives, he, he makes a vow. He swears right here. He goes, as the Lord lives, as you live, I'm never going to leave you. And so what he's demonstrating is real true friendship. And I think if you're going to take notes today, maybe this is something for you to lean into, what a real friend looks like, what a real friend does. <coughs> maybe this is for you, those of you that are married, this is something for you and your spouse. Maybe it's for parents out there. This is how you can treat your kids. Kids, this might be a kind of friendship you can have for your parents. Maybe this is for you and your best friend. Uh, maybe this is for somebody that God has brought across your path who needs a friend and you need to demonstrate what real friendship looks like. Of course, we know Jesus was the best friend that we could ever have. Uh, but we see an example of what really good friendship looks like here. And the first thing I want you to notice is that true friendship means not leaving when the future is a little scary or a little uncertain. If you're going to be a real friend, you, you don't just bail out because things are getting a little, little scary or it looks like things are going to be uncertain in the future. Nobody knew exactly what was going to happen to Elijah, when it was going to happen, how it was going to happen. It just seemed like it was it was imminent, like this 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 last couple days of his life were, were coming. and. It would have been an easy thing for Elisha to go, man, this is awkward, this is uncomfortable, this is scary, I'm out. But that's not what real friends do. He insists that he goes with them, and so they do, they go on. And verse number three says, a group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha, and they asked him, hey, did you know that the Lord's going to take the, uh, your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. This is a little bit of a different setting. Now you understand they traveled to Bethel. Bethel. Um, 
would have been uh, one of the locations where Samuel, a prophet from earlier, uh, the same prophet that ends up anointing David as king, Samuel sets up like little Bible colleges, if you will. He sets up little training centers for pr other prophets. And it says that the, there's a clearly one of those here in Bethel. And so all these other prophets, these other guys who are are trying to promote God and trying to bring uh, Israel along on a correct religion. Now, remember, Israel was struggling at this time with a lot of idolatry. These guys are on the same team with Elijah and Elisha, and Elijah is, is making a last round and visiting. He might be encouraging them. Maybe God gave him something to say to him. We don't really know why he's there. But while he's there, some of Elisha's uh, counterparts are like, hey, dude, uh, did you know that your prophet, that your, your master is getting ready to die today? Now, maybe they say that because they had it revealed to them and they wanted to share it. Maybe they weren't sure that Elisha actually knew what was going to happen to his master. Maybe they maybe they're, they just didn't think he had arrived yet at getting that kind of knowledge. But we know that he had and he tells him, hey, be quiet. I don't I don't want you like making this a big deal. Let's let's keep it down. Why he tells him to be quiet. A lot of different uh, conjecture there. A lot of different experts think it's to give uh, Elijah some peace. Maybe it's uh, because it's too holy of a thing and he doesn't want them just flippantly running their mouths about it. We don't really know. But while they're there, it, it says this. Um, Elijah then says to Elisha, stay here for the Lord's told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I'll never leave you. So they went together to Jericho. So at first they're, they're going down to Bethel and he's leaving Gilgal and he says, hey, you stay here. And he tests them and, and Elisha says, or Elijah, Elisha tells Elijah, no, I'm going with you, buddy. And Elijah's like, okay, fine. Now Elijah tests him again. He says, hey, dude, we're leaving here. We're actually gonna go on a harder journey. That last journey to here, that, that was a little rough. This next one, we're going down. This is a much longer path. It's a much harder path. Um, why don't you just take it easy? You, you can stay here and, and I'll go. And of course, Elisha doesn't wanna miss the last few moments or hours of Elijah's life. So he insists that he goes with them. And, and, and although he was, he was willing to do that, uh, I think, I think what maybe, maybe Elijah was also trying, trying to tell him, buddy, you, you've got friends here in Bethel. You've got friends that you can just stay with and hang out here. And he says, no, no, I'm going to go. Um, and, and something I want you to note on, notice on this is that true friendship means being present. Um, I think this is a great thing for us to remember your presence when you're able to be around people some of us we just don't make the time um and i've heard it said you know like oh hey you know find time make time and we can't actually make time i shouldn't say that you can't actually make time you can't actually find time it's it's there you all you can really do is manage your time and if you're going to be a real friend you have to manage your time in a way that helps you be present in somebody's life um not to be too sad but i just uh laid to rest uh a family dog, uh, my wife and her family, their dog that they've had as long as I've known them. That dog's been more a part of their family than I have. And I've been here for almost 15 years. Uh, we just laid her to rest this week. And I just started thinking back about all the times I could walk into the house or just sit down and that, that dog was always there. And how comforting it is to have a presence Something, you know, as simple as a pet that will come up and just be by you and is just excited to see you. There is, there's something powerful to a presence. And can you imagine how much even more so that is for, for people to have a, a human that will 
will say, hey, I'm here with you. I'm here in this moment. You're going through a rough time. It's not just a text. And I, listen, I, I think if, if you can't do anything else, send a text or make a phone call. But if you can, if you can show up and be present, be physically present for somebody, what a great friendship that is. What a great testament to you. And and uh, Elisha says that to Elijah. He says, dude, I'm going to stand right by your side. I'm going with you. And it's, it's a good reminder for us. So they go on down to uh, Jericho. It says, then the group of prophets from Jericho, this is verse number five, came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to make your mas take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. This, um, this, the same scenario that happened at the last temple, there's more prophets and they've been, it's been revealed to them that, hey man, uh, this is Elijah's last time. And they, they run up to Elisha and they're like, Elisha, do you know, do you know? He's like, yeah, I get it, I know. Same thing. It's, it might be kind of an insult. It might be kind of a test, but his response is the same. I know. Chill out. We're going forward. While they're there in Jericho, Elijah says this. This is the third test. Elijah says to Elisha, stay here, buddy. I want you to stay here. The Lord's told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha re replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I'll never leave you. So they went together. So the last time he says, Hey, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to go. You stay here. And he goes, no, I'm going with you. And then he goes, Hey, I'm going, I'm going down to Jericho. This is going to be a tough journey. Stay, stay here. Now he says, listen, man, I'm not even going to a city. I'm going out into the wilderness. I'm going into no man's land. There's, this is open country. I get a little background sound effects, which I love. This makes it makes life live recording even that much better. He says, I'm, I'm not going to a village. I'm not going to a town. I'm not going to a place where there's going to be a bed or there's a guarantee of food. There's not any people. Not just that you don't have friends. There's nobody there. Dude, just stay here. It's going to get a lot worse if you stay with me. And what is Eli, uh, Eli, Elisha's response? His response is, no, man, I'm not going anywhere. It's, uh, it's this idea that, listen, man, true friendship, true fr friendship doesn't look for what's easiest, but instead looks for what's best. If I'm really going to be your friend, I'm not looking out for what makes it easy for me. If I'm going to be the best kind of husband, I don't look for the answer that makes it easiest for me. It'll always be easy. Check this out. It'll always be easiest for you to put your comfort first. That's not what Christ did for us. That's not what a real friend does for somebody else. If you love that person and you know that you're called to love them, then you don't look for your comfort for what's easy for you. You do the thing that's best for them. And this is what he does here. And I think some of you need to lean into this because some of your relationships have broken down. You're not being the kind of friend, the kind of boss, the kind of employee, the kind of brother or sister, the kind of neighbor that you're supposed to be. You don't look out for what makes you comfortable. You look out for what makes them better or helps them the most. That might be the answer that some of you are struggling with right now with all the turmoil taking place in the world around you. What's my response supposed to be? Your response is not supposed to be what makes you feel comfortable. Your response is supposed to be, man, how can I show them love and how can I do what's best for them? That might answer a lot of questions. I'm just going to leave that there for you guys to hang on to. I want you to also notice this. For the third time, he says the same thing. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will never leave you. He repeats the same phrase over and over and over again. And I put here in my notes that he restated the same promise. And it's, there's an element of when you have unchanging devotion, you can capture it by unchanging speech. The way I, the way I thought of it was this. When you got married, you said, hey, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, or something like that. You had these passionate vows. 
You had these things you said. Maybe when you got the job, you you got interviewed and you said, I'm gonna work so hard, I'm gonna be tireless, I'm gonna be faithful, I'm gonna be loyal, I'm gonna put the company, you know, there it's interest ahead of mine. I'm gonna I'm gonna do all these things. You 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 at one point you talked really sweet and you had these great promises and these some of you, you know, you wrote poems when you were dating and you you made all these declarations. Where is all that 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 beautiful speech now? Where is all those promises? Where's all that flattery? Where's all that gone? Sometimes there's an element of saying the, the way the what I said before, I'm sticking with it. Don't don't begin to go walk backwards on your promises. I said I love you no matter what, not I kind of like you if it's good and comfortable for me. Stay with those promises. I love that he doesn't change his, his vows. It says this in the next verse, 50 men from the group of the prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped by the Jordan River. So these guys hang back. They watch Elijah and Elisha go forward. When everybody steps back, a true friend steps forward. Now, I'm not trying to bash on these 50 men. It says these 50 men go and they stand at a distance and they watch. It was probably out of reverence. It was probably because they... they they knew that they weren't supposed to intrude on what was going to be a private moment for Elijah. They might have been afraid that God didn't want them that close. It actually says that they're the younger ones. So maybe the older guys are like, I'm not even going to try to watch what God does. Uh, these guys are just really nosy and curious. But whatever it is, they keep their distance. And that's probably a, a polite thing. But I thought about it this way. It's getting tough. It's getting scary. I can't imagine standing on the edge of that river with your friend knowing that they're they're in their last moments. And this Jordan River here, this crossing of the Jordan River has uh, been likened by a lot of preachers to be symbolic of crossing death, crossing over. And, and that death doesn't stop us because Elijah soon goes on up to heaven, that death isn't the end. But they're standing on the banks of the River Jordan and this this doom, this dread, this fear, I don't know what all would have been going through their head. It just must have definitely been uncertainty. Everybody else steps back. A true friend steps forward says, hey, I'm, I'm with you. Don't, don't, don't wait to be called out. Volunteer. Step up. It says next that then Elijah folded his cloak. So here's the master, the older, the mentor. He takes off his what would have been like a shawl or a scarf, kind of a, a just laying over a cloak, laying over his, his, uh, his shoulders. He takes this mantle off and he strikes the water with it and the river divides and the two of them cross over on dry ground. Back to what I was talking about. There's only been a couple other people that that, wa that have water uh, parted so they can walk on. Moses does it for does it for the Red Sea. His protege, his, his successor, Joshua does it at the same river, the Jordan River, when they enter into the Promised Land. And now you see Elijah being uh, just kind of blessed by God for people to see him have this authority to part the Jordan River and cross over. And it shows the, the level of friendship. It reminds everybody watching of Moses and of Joshua. And it affirms Israel's need to follow this leader, this the, the, the man who, who has God's hand on him. It says, when they came to the other side, this is verse number nine, when they came to the other side, Elijah says to Elisha, hey, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. Tell me what I can do for you. It's a desire to leave an impact. It's a desire to do something for the people who are going to be sticking around after you're gone. I hope every single person watching this feels the weight of this, that we're supposed to have an impact that goes beyond our last breath, that we're supposed to make a difference even when we're long gone. Uh, Ron Sears has been quoting, I believe he said it was Charles Spurgeon, but this idea that we want to cast our shadow, fling our shadow uh, into the future over generations long after we're gone. We want to have an impact where our life makes a difference. And so Elijah, Elisha 
is asked by his mentor, Elijah, what, what can you do? What can I do for you? What can I give you? What can you, what can I, what can I bless you with or promise you before, before I go? In Elisha's reply in the same verse, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. I want a double share of what you have. Now this sounds weird because it sounds, it makes, it makes uh, Elisha sound greedy. Elijah says, hey man, what can I bequeath to you? What can I give to you? You want my records? I got a, I got a cool set of vinyl. You want that, bro? Uh, what, do you, what can I do? And he goes, I, I want double of the Lord's Holy Spirit, the, the spirit that, that God has put on you. I want double of that put on me. And so it sounds a little bit greedy, but you got to remember a double portion was also what the Hebrews uh, had promised to their firstborn son. If you had multiple kids, your firstborn son got a double portion and all the other kids just got one portion. And so what he's asking for is he's like, I want, I want to be your first heir. I want to be considered your firstborn. Now, truthfully, back if you go all the way back to 1 Kings, everybody already knew that Elijah had a successor and that Elisha was going to be that, that next prophet. Everybody knew that. That was already promised. That was already foretold. But what uh, what uh, Elisha is asking for is he's saying, hey, I I could ask for a lot of stuff. And listen, he could. He could ask for money. He could have asked for uh, power. He could have asked for popularity. He just knows that what he needs most is the power of God that was in his in his mentor's life. He needs that for himself. Man, what a testimony to Elijah. What a what what kind of a powerful influence do you have when somebody says, hey, I want to. I want to have whatever you have. Listen to me, parents. If your kids asked for one thing, what would it be? A lot of money, a new car, a house? Are they going to ask to have the faith that you have? They're not going to ask for something they can't see. And I want you to hear this. They're not going to ask for something that they don't think you value. They're only going to value what you value. And if they see you valuing money and possessions, that's what they're going to ask for. But what a great testimony for us to our friends, to our family members, to our neighbors. If what they want most from us is, is to have a piece of the, the relationship that we have with God. If the thing that we do with our lives is what they most admire. That's what we should be shooting for. And that's what Elijah, uh, that's what Elisha is saying to Elijah. I want, I want that. He doesn't ask for fame. He asks for the thing that he knows that Elijah needed to be powerful is the same thing he wants to be powerful. And so Elijah says this. Dude, you've asked for a difficult thing. Verse number 10. He does that breathe through his teeth thing. Ah, man. Uh, if you had asked for like my sandals or my mantle or like, you know, my donkey or something, I could have given you some of that. But bro, he says you've asked for a hard thing. And the reason he says that for a difficult thing is because God's power wasn't Elijah's to give. God had blessed Elijah with it. That wasn't Elijah's to just bequeath. Elijah was blessed to get it. And so Elijah puts it back in God's hands and he says, I tell you what, if you see me, if you're, if you're able to see me when God takes me away from you, that'll be God's answer that your request has been fulfilled. And if you don't see me, then you're not going to get your request answered. And so he puts it back on God. He, he could have given him a lot of stuff, but it, that wasn't his to give. So he kind of prays for it. He goes, dude, I hope you get it. Um, and, and truthfully, Elisha receiving that is more on God's grace and God's mercy than it was on Elijah wanting it for him. And I say that to all of you that are hoping that the people who come behind you, your friends, your kids, your, your coworkers, uh, 
the best that you can do is to lead by example so that they want that for themselves. And then pray that God shows mercy and grace on them, that those people could also come to know him. So it says this in verse number 11, we're almost done with the story. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared drawn by horses of fire. I can almost hear the music playing right now from the, the movie, can't you? Da -da 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 -da. I feel like I need a slow motion run through the beach. You know, that's not the chariots of fire that they're talking about, but uh, it's this picture that God sends uh, pretty much a, a, a task force of angels. I mean, they go out on a chariot of fire, horses of fire, they lead. And what it does is that chariot drives between Elijah and Elisha as they're walking and talking and it separates them so that Elijah can be taken to heaven and Elisha can stay right where he's at. Here's what I want you to, to see first though. It says they were walking and talking. And I know I made a, a, a large point about good, good friends being present, but I want you to take it up a notch, okay? A true friend is more than present, they're available. It was good that he was there and be present, but uh, some of you are present in people's lives, but you're not available to them. Uh, I read a book recently and some of my friends were talking about it and one of them said that, man, that really hit home with them is that, you know, you can be present in your kid's life, but that doesn't mean you're actually emotionally available for them. You can be there, you see the people every day, but you're not actually engaging with them. You're not actually talking with them. You're not actually hearing their fears. You're not actually getting to know them. Uh, so yes, you need to be present. Don't short sell that. But for some of you, you need to be available. Have conversations. Don't just say, hey kids, hey mom, hey boss, hey buddy, wave to your neighbor. What if you actually stopped and had a conversation? One where you did less talking than them and let them pour out their hearts to you. That's what it looks like to be emotionally available. And then, um, excuse me, it, uh, it says also that they, they, were, they were walking and talking, the, the connotation being that they were just talking about what, what Israel needed, what was going to happen. They were doing their jobs. They were doing ministry. They were having a discourse about, man, we've got to do a good job with Israel. We've got to lead people to, to follow after God. They were doing their jobs. They were doing ministry when God comes to get him. He wasn't sitting there crying. He wasn't sitting there going off. Oh, I just had a few more minutes. He wasn't sitting there belaboring the fact that his life was going to end. You understand what's weird about this is Elijah is in the prime of his, of his ministry. He is like hitting stride and God's like, Hey, I'm going to take you early. I'm going to take you out of this early. I, I, if it was me, I'd have been like mad. I would have been nervous. I would have been like, I have so much more I want to do. And Elijah just begins to minister to Elisha and tell them what's going on and they're doing their job. God catches him working for God in the moment that he takes him. What, what if that was true of you and I? When we take our last breath, God comes and finds us where we're at, doing what we're supposed to be doing. A lot of people say, hey, you know, when it gets towards the end of my life, I'll do something for God. I'll, I'll actually give, I'll actually love, I'll actually serve. I'll do something for God when, it, when the time comes. You rarely ever get that opportunity. Why don't you do it now? Because you don't know when God's coming. You don't know when you're gonna take your last breath. It's a much more powerful statement that God catches them doing that. It says that Elisha saw it. So this this, this chariot appears, it separates Elijah and Eli Elijah from Elisha. And Elijah is carried up in a whirlwind is what verse number 11 finishes with into heaven. Verse number 12 says, Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they 
disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. When he says, I see, he says, my father, my father, he's talking about a spiritual father, a mentor, Elijah. He says, I see him, I see him, I see the charioteers and the horses, or the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. This is the Bible time and time again has God telling Israel not to count their strength in their horses or in their chariots, but to instead count their strength in God. And he doesn't say, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel, meaning he sees tangible men riding around in wagons with horses drawing. He sees the army of God and he goes, that's the real strength of Israel is what he's saying. I see the real strength of Israel is in the God they serve, not in all the weapons and the armies that they have. And then it says that he tears his clothing. He wasn't, as much as he was, he knew that it was God's plan, he wasn't excited that his that his mentor was leaving him. Elisha wasn't happy that Elijah was leaving. He gets promoted. Why wouldn't he be happy? He gets to be the boss. He gets to call the shots. He gets the power and the prestige. And he doesn't, he doesn't get excited. Instead, he tears his clothes, which is a sign of lamenting. It's a it's a sign of remorse, of sadness. He says, I, 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 I'm broken. And what it does is it, it teaches us that people are more important than the job. He was going to miss that relationship more than he was going to enjoy having all of the all of the, the accolades of being the boss. Some of us sometimes we're willing to sacrifice people and friendships to get ahead, to get the job done. And that's that's not what a real friend does. That's not what God's called us to do. You got to value the people more than the project, okay? And then uh, it goes on. He 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 obviously is he's he's torn. I kind of I kind of love that that he that Elijah leaving is so seen as so heavy of a loss. It's seen as so big of a deal. What I want you to get out of that is that Elijah in his preaching, Elijah in his prophecies and his teaching and his reproof of the people of Israel, him leaving being a man of God was more hurtful more detrimental to Israel than losing thousands and thousands of soldiers. Or said a different way, Elijah did more to help and protect Israel than thousands of soldiers could do for him. Elijah pointing people to God, Elijah pointing people to the one true God, helping them avoid idolatry, helping them avoid sin, was more helpful and more protective of Israel than the biggest army. I think it's a really, really cool statement about his life. It says in verse 13, Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak. So as Elijah is taken up to heaven, his cloak falls off of him and falls down to the ground. Notice it doesn't fall on Elijah's or on Elisha's shoulders. Elijah's cloak, his mantle falls off, but it falls to the ground. And it says, Elijah picks up Elisha's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned back to the bank of the Jordan River. Why does it tell us that he had to pick it up? Because if it fell on his shoulders, it would have just been a done deal, right? Hey, here it is, it's yours. Although he was he was given double spirit, he saw he saw Elijah taken so that his prayer was answered. He was gonna have double double spirit of what Elijah had had. It was still his choice to pick up that mantle. It was still his his job to pick it up and put it on. I think a lot of us, we want the power of a position, but we don't want the pressure of a position. He had to, in that moment, look and go, man, I asked for double spirit, but do I also want to be responsible? 
do I also want to be, man, do I, do I want to be the one that has to, to do this work? And there's an element of saying, I'm taking responsibility. If you and I want to go forward, we have to take responsibility. We have to put on the armor, put on the calling, put it on ourselves that God, you, you've given me this opportunity. I'm going to embrace it. We all want the good. We, none of us really want that pressure. And so he had to make that choice. He goes back to the Jordan River. Can you imagine this man just lost his mentor, his father figure? He just lost the most influential person in his life. And he's out in the wilderness and he's going, what do I do now? And he gets back to the Jordan River and he's looking at it and he's like, I'm stuck. I'm stuck on this side of the Jordan. I'm over here with no friends. I just lost my, my closest ally. And now I've got to be the man. And I, God didn't leave the Jordan River separated. He, he opened it so we could cross over, but then he closed it behind me. He didn't hold the elevator door. Like I was coming back, Jesus, I, God, I was coming back. I wanted to cross back over. I, I need a little help here. I can see those 50 guys that just saw this chariot take Elijah. They see, they see in the distance, they see Elisha walking back and they see him get to the river and they're probably like, what's gonna happen next? And the last verse I want you to see is this, verse 14. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and he cried out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And then the river divided and Elisha went across. So he gets back to the river. He takes that same cloak that he just picked up and he smacks the river. I don't know what he had done if he had never picked the cloak up. If he never embraced the responsibility of being the next prophet, he probably never would have been able to see the miracle of the, of the Jordan River parting back again. He would have had to walk a long ways to find a bridge. But instead he picked it up and God in that moment immediately empowered him. He didn't have to do years and years and years and years of earning something. God said, hey, I'm with you. This is what I'm doing. And in that moment, God empowered him to do a miracle. And what's really cool is the way that God empowered Moses to part the Red Sea. God then empowered Joshua to, to cross the Jordan. And what it told the nation of Israel is that just as much as Moses was your leader, now Joshua is your leader. And just a few minutes earlier, God empowered Elijah to cross the Jordan River. And now they see God empowering Elisha. And so what it is, is they are getting to witness that God has moved his hand from Elijah and put it back on, uh, and has moved over to Elisha. And now Elisha is the new man of God, the prophet that they're supposed to be following after. So God visibly honors him and sets him aside in just that first moment of the Jordan River being parted. I thought that was a beautiful picture, but I want you to notice something. He asked, where is the Lord? How many of us, if we lost somebody, we would be saying, where are they, God? Where, where is Elijah? Where is Elijah? Where's Elijah? I need Elijah. He doesn't say, where's Elijah? He says, where is the Lord of Elijah? Where is the Lord? Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? That's the one I need. I don't need Elijah. God, you used Elijah and now he's gone. And as much as I miss him, what I need more than Elijah is I need you. And if you've lost somebody, I want you to understand God standing there going, hey, listen, I know you miss them, but what you need more than them is you need me. You need a relationship with the Lord, the God of heaven. Elisha was going to see Elijah again one day, but Elisha had a job to do and he needed to get to work. And so he says, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? What he's basically saying is he's saying, where's the God who kept Elijah faithful when everybody else turned against him? Where's the God who mightily answered Elijah's prayer when would send down fire from heaven? Who is the God who, where's the God at that, that provided miraculously for Elijah and fed him and, and took care of him? Where's the God who raised the dead through Elijah? 
Where's the God who answers prayers, who 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 encourages when, when Elijah was discouraged? Where's the God that carried Elijah away to heaven? Where's that God? I need that power. I don't need Elijah, God. I need you. As much as my heart breaks for them, I more than anything, I need you. And he cries out. He says, that's, that's what I'm missing. God, where is that God? And I think a lot of us, regardless if you have 10 minutes, 10 days, 10 years, or 100 years left on this planet, your cry should be the same as Elisha's. God, I need you. Where are you, God? I need you. I need you in my life more than I need anything else. I need you. And when we can, when we can proclaim that, when we can shout that out, when we, when we live a life that says, I'm following you, God, your power is, is what sustains me. Then God uses us to be a better friend, to be a better boss, to be a better sibling, to be a better, a better buddy, a better pal, a better coworker, a better neighbor was when we're powered by the one who has no limitations. So for those of you that are listening to me right now, I'm going to ask that you simply pray for that kind of power, a double portion of that, if you will, to fall on you. If you've never invited God in, if you've never known that power, then pray that right now and ask God to bring that power to you. And if you if you do have that, then say, God, would you use me to inspire others? Not to make myself famous, but to make you famous. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we need your power now more than ever. God, we need you in our lives. We need you to show up in an amazing way. God, would you be with the people that are listening right now, the people under the sound of my voice that are that know that they need you. They need you to help them through a hard time. God, there's people that are hurting. There's people who have lost loved ones. God, there's people who haven't been the kind of friend they needed to be. God, there's people right now who don't feel like they have any friends. God, there's people right now that are struggling through their addictions. God, there's people right now that are depressed. There's people right now that are scared. God, there's people right now that have a decision to make and they don't know what to do. God, there's people right now that that know that you're calling them to, to move forward, but they're, they're unsure of what direction. God, I pray that each and every one of us would lean on your power and have your power in our life because we draw close to you. Not because we're smart enough or strong enough or spiritual enough, God, but instead that it be because we, we love you and we're close to you and that your power flows through us. So would you, Lord God, help each and every one of us, help us cry out to you. Be with the person right now listening that needs you in their life. Let them know that they can call out and that you will forgive them of their sins if they if they come back to you, God, if they invite you into their life, if they open up their heart to allow you to be the one calling the shots, that they don't have to be distant from you any longer, that if you're at the in the driver's seat of their life, that they can have that power. God, help them make that profession today. Help them make that call to you today and help each and every one of us know what it looks like and feels like to be walking with you. Would you strengthen us? Would you guide us? Would you give us your wisdom? Would you fill us with your joy? And God, would you help us be more like Elijah and, and Elisha, be the kind of men and women that other people see you and want to know you more because of our life. It's in your name that we pray all of this. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.